welcome to Talent Savvy, the podcast that inspires you on all things talent. Today we will be talking about compensation and benefits, the topic that every recruiter loves to hate. And we won't be complaining about it, we're going to be talking about how do you sell whatever compensation you've been delivered to your candidates. What's the right way to convince them that it is an interesting compensation package? Enjoy the show. Welcome to Talent Savvy, the podcast that inspires you on all things talent. Today, I am joined from Sweden by Sofia and from Canada by Marlies. And we are going to be talking compensation and benefits, but not in a way that we are going to complain about it, what many of (laughs) TA usually does. We're going to be talking about the parts that we as TA can influence concerning comp and ban. And the basis of this conversation was actually an article written by a man on Substack. Sorry, I forgot his name. Andre Nader. Andre Nader. Thank you so much, Marlies. On the great tech salary, basically crash or reconfiguration or whatever you want to call it because of the stock market changes we've recently seen. And Marlies, could you just summarize the article for us? Sure. So this article kind of discusses that tech compensation is dropping for the first time in decades. And, you know, they talk a little bit about inflation, but where what the article in Andre really argues is that the significance in the salary compression is really due to the change in equity. Think of any of you follow the stock market. It hasn't been looking so hot. And those who join Fang or now Mang, you know, with the renaming of Meta, really have seen the value of most stock prices decline. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about the role that recruiting plays in equity compensation and the ability we have to influence. But I would also argue that talent professionals don't get enough equity in general. And I know my co-ho- my esteemed co-hosts are in Europe where equity can be complicated to give. Not impossible, just complicated. So we thought we could have a great discussion from here. Absolutely. And I think you already pointed out a very first major argument or, or thing which a lot of our listeners will be very biased about. Equity compensation is very location specific, also because of the fiscal measurements there are concerning equity compensation. For example, I live in the Netherlands. Now we have a few workarounds right now in place, but options are fiscally one of the most uninteresting things that you can get from a company because basically you have to pay your taxes up front. And if you leave before you can even cash out the options, you're still out of your taxes. You won't be compensated for it. And it has nothing to do with the real value, but there's just, it's a fiscal mess. And that's why you really don't want options. Now we've built different constructions. I recently found out around them. We're able now to give out virtual shares, which is really interesting. But And every country will have a different attitude on it, also based on the normalcy, I would say, of such a compensation. You know, how long has it been around? 
Before we started uh, the recording here, we already had a few really interesting uh, thoughts on that. Sophia, I know you're not a big fan of equity compensation, while Marlies, you're saying I won't work anywhere without it. Sophia, would you start with your point of view? Yeah, my point of view, and I think it's a view that I've come across as well when talking about compensation with people applying for jobs or people who are in the process at the companies I work for, is at the end of the day, people want to know how much they will have in their wallet each month. So if too big a portion of your salary is a bonus or RSUs or anything like that, that you can't necessarily say it's going to be this much, people aren't really interested in that. It could be a nice thing. And I think a lot of people view bonus and me, myself, I view bonus as just that a bonus, something that I could potentially earn as extra, but I can't count on. So I think it's important for companies to not add these things. And as mentioned in the article, talking about the whole total comp, it's what's a little bit, you know, getting at me because it's potential total comp. It isn't actually what you're going to get at the end of the day. And that's what kind of gets me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because I think equity, much like bonus, are is not guaranteed. You know, when I joined properly, I had a really great conversation with our CEO. He said, you know, as a very early employee, you're going to get a lot of equity. This equity could be worth zero. But if we make it big, this equity could be worth millions of dollars. I personally believe it's possible for the second to happen, but you need to know the first is possible too. And so we're still going to pay you a competitive salary that we had no bonuses, but the real upside is in the equity. And so he also projected the value of the equity at different amounts, but he was also pretty straightforward. This could go the other way. But I have a question for Marley, something that, you know, before we started recording, Mm -hmm. you mentioned that you like gambling. And I think that's the kind of difference between <laughs> you and me. I really don't necessarily like gambling. I want to know what I have and what I what I don't in that sense. And you like gambling. And you said it's essentially a gambling thing. And I think I think that's, that's the kind of different mindset between different people. Yeah, I mean, I don't like a like a pure gamble. I don't go to the casino. I have no interest. I don't play the lottery or anything like that. But I do understand that I, I've always picked, with the exception of my current state, extremely early stage companies. And I like to think of that as gambling that you have some control over, because if you're a part of being an early stage employee, you'll be part of doing whatever you can to make it succeed. But you do know that you could be out on the street like tomorrow, right? The Mm -hmm. startup could run out of money, it could shut down. But in the case of some of my past startups, those companies have done pretty well. But I've also had companies where my equity is worth zero. But what I want to know is if that company widely succeeds, I don't think it's right because, and again, this may be a Canadian or North American versus European thing. I worked over 100 hours per week for some of my startups. I don't think people in Europe do that for anybody. Is maybe part of it. <laughs> maybe Bass does. But if I'm working like that, I think I deserve a part of the upside. And I think the problem is a lot of equity isn't given to talent acquisition professionals. 
And so when I was negotiating job offers recently, a couple companies didn't give me equity. And I said, hey, if you succeed, is all of the upside going to you? And they said, yes. And then I said, so why would I work this many hours without a, a section of the upside? I'm turning your offer down. And I don't work that many hours either. I just try to add a lot of value in the hours I do work. And I actually agree with, I don't agree that it's gambling. I do agree that I want to be compensated for the upside. I want to be, whenever I join, I've, I've been asked a few times to join a non-executive board. And usually I demand some equity as well, simply because if I'm going to be in your advisory board, if I'm going to help you out, uh, especially if it's very early stage, usually even pre-seed startups, uh, I'm like, my advice could be able to make or break your company. So I want, even if it's just a small share, I mean, and I've, I've had shares between 1.5% to uh, about 5% given in compensation for my work simply because I add a lot of value and I want to have the upside to the value. So I get the equity compensation, but I also get that if it's your day job, you want to have a normal fixed salary and understand what you'll be bringing home every month to pay rent or mortgage. However, we were going to be discussing what we as TA professionals could do to influence this and First of all, I think I want to talk to you about how do we influence the candidate and the candidate perspective on the comp and ban that we have, given the fact that it's what we have. Any thoughts on that? Uh, how do you present the offers? And, and if it's, for example, more equity, less pay, or the other way around, how do you go about that? Any, any ideas on that? So at Properly, we understood that where I worked before. We actually gave candidates two offers, one higher in cash, one higher in equity. And those were the bookends of their offer. So some candidates wanted more equity and they could basically slide on the scale and get less cash. Or if they wanted more cash and they could get less equity. So we basically gave them, according to the auditors, and I'll just use round numbers. These aren't our real, weren't the real numbers. The auditor says our share is worth $100. You're offer is at $50,000. They were all higher because it's Canadian dollars, not euros. Um, so let's say you want $60,000. You can take less equity. Your first offer is at 50. Your second offer is at 60. If you take 50, you're gambling. You're getting extra equity. If you'd prefer the sure thing at 60, we'll still give you a little bit of equity, but you're trading those things and we actually let people choose and people loved it. And they got the same choice every time they were given a promotion where they could reset mm -hmm. and be given two offers again and decide. And to be honest, some employees would later in their life say, I now have children. I need more cash or something like that. Or they'd say, my partner's doing really well. I want to take the equity this time. And so we actually gave people choice in their compensation. I really love that. Yeah, me too. I've actually seen this once at a staffing firm where they said you can decide on your fixed salary and the percentage you get from every hour we place you at a customer. And so basically, if you believe that your hourly wages will be X, if we can sell you for that, you might want to go more. So they actually gave the same model there, like, do you want to make two grand a month? Do you want to make three grand a month? Okay, then you're going to get 
X percent of your billable wages, et cetera, et cetera, which was a very interesting model as well. And I think that also works kind of even let's say they are comparing two offers from one company just saying this is it or from the one with giving the choice, even if it ends up being the same salary, like the offers essentially the same, I think they they would end up going for the company that gave them choice. Because it's simply the fact that you're also giving them choice that shows something. No, absolutely. And, and of course, we as TA professionals should be fighting for this, but this is mm-hmm. also something we probably can't influence too much. So if you've got an equity package, how do you package it? How do you sell it if it is competitive, but it's designed differently than what people are used to? Sophia, you told me that in Sweden, all the equity extras basically are very unknown. So you have a difficult time selling it. How do you do that? I think my my difficulty is selling it to somebody because it's not as common in Sweden to be given like bonuses and RSUs and stuff. It's more now I'm in the in the gaming industry, it's more common. But a lot of the time I'm giving offers to people who are currently only have a base salary. They have neither bonus or equity. And then trying to explain it or sell it to them, maybe, you know, we can't give them a raise, but we can offer this on top of their base salary. And trying to explain how that works and what it is and and explain that that is something of value. That so that's my kind of question, uh, maybe to you, Marlies, then who who's done this a lot, kind of how do you sell that kind of total comp package to somebody who's only used to having a base salary? So one of the recruiters on my team, Roxy, she actually built an Excel document, which valued every type of compensation. So in Canada, I know this is different because I, I don't know Sweden. So Sophia, you'll have to fill us in. But in the Netherlands, like you're not really given health benefits as part of work. People have independent health benefits. But in Canada, you're given money for like massages and things like that. So she literally built this Excel spreadsheet. We were a startup. We didn't have fancy tech, but I, there is fancy tech on the market that can do this for you that valued everything okay, we're giving you this much money for health. That's worth $300 per month, let's say. And she broke down everything so that when candidates came to us and then we'd say the auditors are saying the equity we're offering you is worth X. So your actual offer is worth 160, let's say, because the candidate would come to us and say, you're offering me 130, Amazon's offering me 150. She actually built the spreadsheet and she said, well, if you actually take the value of everything, it's actually 160. Right. Or something like that. So that's Mm -hmm. one way. But going back to the original question, Lorena Scott, who was the VP of people at a startup I worked at a few years ago, she built this majestic story. So Ritual was in food delivery. We came to Amsterdam. It didn't work out there. But um, essentially, she said there's a lot of delivery companies. She said Ritual is currently X size. If we expand the value of our equity two times, that will be the value of Deliveroo, which trades for X on the market, for example. And she used that picture and she used companies that were publicly traded because this company, she used real examples, but she did note, hey, we're private, so you can't trade us on the market. But if we grow our business by all these different multiples, here are these public companies I can point you to who have gone up 5X, who are trading like this. And this is what we believe is possible. So I think if you figure out who the players in your industry who have done really well, that's the way to build a case for your equity. However, 
as you both noted, there's no guarantees in equity compensation. Mm -hmm. Something I always did when I was leading, you know, recruiting at properly, I was also honest with candidates. I said, hey, we strongly believe we're going to be like in a billion dollar company. And this is what this would mean for your equity. However, your equity could also be worth zero. And you need to be comfortable with that. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, one of the things which is very little known about it, and I don't talk too much about it, but I literally started my HR career in compensation and benefits, being a researcher on uh, compensation for IT staff back in the day, which is now over uh, 25 years ago or something. I'm really getting old. <laughs> But I was there when the first bonuses really started going outside of just sales. And what I've always noticed, and one of the sales tactics I taught DHR people who had to tell the recruiters is don't talk about your entire bonus structure, which is basically the same as your uh, equity structure. Talk about what did a person in this job on average make. And I've actually, at one company I was with, and uh, they had a really, really, really low base salary. It was mm-hmm. one of my, my first clients here a couple of years ago. But they had an insane, insane bonus structure for the salespeople. And it was like, yes, we pay uh, just enough fixed to pay rent, but we give out the bonuses every month. And on average, you earn five times as much every month on a bonus than your fixed salary. And to be honest, if you don't earn at least three times as much, this is going to be a short stint at us anyway, because you're not selling well enough. Mm-hmm. And we could actually just show the numbers. We didn't show the numbers, but we told the numbers. Like basically everybody's taking in 10 grand a month in bonuses. So, but you do have to make the sales, but each one in the team here is doing so. And of course, the story about the one guy actually buying a Porsche without having a driver's license because he didn't know what to do with his money also went down really well with prospects. (laughs) But that's a completely different story. I too would like to make enough as a recruiter to not know what to do with my money, but I'm not there yet. I don't know about (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Not quite, not quite. But I just came to think of something that's been more what you said with the Excel sheet. I work with those as well, but that's more actually for people who are not Swedish and are moving here, trying to explain the Swedish salary structure because we like always pay pension and how much that's worth. So when you're trying to compare salaries, how much do you earn? Because in Sweden, when you ask somebody about like the salaries, not that we ask what you're earning, we ask what they want. What we always talk about, base salary before tax. But what we don't talk about is the fact that on top of that, you're paid pension scheme. Most of the time in most companies, but we don't include that when we talk about our, our monthly salaries. So you have to kind of ask somebody, oh, do you have a pension scheme in where you're at? And if not, okay, our pension scheme is worth this much. It's most specifically for non-Swedish people aren't used to that they're used to just having to save it privately so it's adding that and that's part of of the excel sheet like you described marlies it's there yeah and what we actually found when i was at the university uh, american professors always found uh, european salaries quite low or way too low but then when we told them you know we have universal health care so you're not paying basically in america i think it's like 1500 quid a month or something for your healthcare insurance and it's 
you know, not part of your your employer doesn't have to pay that because, well, yeah, you you pay a very small fee in insurance, but it's basically universal healthcare. And they were like, oh, so all of these costs drop. And I was in a rural part of the Netherlands and we actually, uh, everybody thought we were talking about weekly rent and we were actually talking about monthly rent. So, and <laughs> because it was just so cheap and we're like, no, you have a villa for that amount of rent. They're like, mm-hmm. not a two-bedroom apartment. No, this is actually rural the Netherlands, not New York, you know, or not Boston, which makes all the difference as well. Yeah, that's the thing with, with recruiting international talent. Like you can't literally translate just to kind of, do, okay, Canadian dollars and Swedish kroner and just compare it. You can't because it's so much about what things cost, what you get for your taxes, it's all of that kind of thing. You just, you can't just compare the money. So in such agreement in Canada, I used to recruit guys from, mostly guys, I would have recruited women, but they just, there weren't as many, specific machine learning engineers from Boise, Idaho. Let me tell, here's a pro tip, actionable, not compensation related. People will leave Boise if you're looking for a good recruiting place. Anybody will leave Idaho. But they used to tell me, oh, your salary is not high enough. You're offering me 100,000 Canadian, which to them is like 80,000 USD. But then I would tell them, but you don't have healthcare costs. Yes, your rent is still high, but you can never worry about being injured and ending up with nothing. Like we have a socialized healthcare system and you're going to be fine here. And that was all the difference. So, but taking it back to like some actionable ways that talent can look at this is we need to build that story for candidates who may not understand. And that applies for either equity or, you know, Sophia in the case that you were talking about or bonus. If people don't understand the value, we need to like part of being in talent acquisition is telling the story and painting Mm -hmm. that picture for the candidate. So for example, you know, the example of pensions, that's not an automatic in North America. That's a huge selling point. Most people have to save for their own retirement. So whatever your compensation is, that's why I like the idea. And I'm Roxy building this tracker that we would send to candidates made such a difference for us because as a series A and then B company, we often couldn't compete on cash compensation alone. But when we showed them the possibility of their equity and all of the benefits we offered, plus the flexible vacation. So in Canada, we were offering like weeks where most people offer 10 days. I know you you, are, you probably can't yeah. even imagine over in Europe, but all of these things together painted a total compensation picture because not everyone can compete on cash compensation alone. And that's where I think equity or bonus or other types of benefits can paint a better picture. Or maybe it's that villa because you're in the middle of nowhere in the Netherlands and the peace and quiet they'd get there too. That that, that surely has a, a, a cash value, right, Bass? Mm-hmm. So we need to help paint that picture. And I think this goes back to recruiters or salespeople. And I'm not used car salespeople, but we need to show people the value. I think you're right. I like what you're saying about storytelling. I think you're right there. And I think I have been doing that without thinking that's what I'm doing. If you know what I mean? Because, for example, talking about bonus and then going, oh, this year, this year's payout was this much, which if you wouldn't work in here, that would have been this much in cash kind of thing. So explaining it like that and not just show, not just showing numbers. I think like I send a tracking Excel file, I do something similar as well. That's a good thing. But then adding that story on top of that 
I think is actually key, kind of painting the picture. I think that's really good advice. Yeah, and probably researching, especially in international hires, but but maybe also a bit in national, but in international hires, researching what is and isn't normal in the country where people come from to basically really be able to storytell and sell the cost of living, perhaps, or the quality of life, etc., etc. So I think... We are concluding here that despite the fact that Comp and Ben is going down, and especially at the Fang or now Mang companies, the major Silicon Valley companies, everyone basically, you actually now, if you're not working for one of them, have a selling point. Like, yeah, do you really want to work for a company where your salary has just been cut in half because of the stock market drop? That's also a story you can be telling people to hire in a different place and i work currently for several governments and uh, the thing is the stories about government salaries in the netherlands have always been we're underpaid we're underpaid we're underpaid and as a former remuneration researcher i've always known that to be complete and total bs and you actually see them coming in and thinking they're going to be underpaid and then they hear the actual salary and then they're like wow That's actually quite good. So it also has to do, of course, with your your perception of what you're expecting. And it might actually be very interesting because I know, as, like I said, researcher on the topic, I know that there's a big, big difference also between companies, even though we always believe we're all on average salaries. Well, let me start then with a riddle or a riddle with a question to you two. Which two jobs in the world do you think have the highest difference in the bottom 10 and the top 10% earners in fixed compensation? Fixed. The two jobs in the world with the biggest difference. And I can tell you it's a factor of 150. So 1500% difference in fixed income for the same job. I'm going to throw out a wild one. I'm saying recruiting and HR professionals as one of them, because some of the recruiters and HR people I know, I know talent professionals paid more than engineers, and I know some paid like almost no money. So just just a guess. No, no, sorry. Uh, talent professionals are, from what I remember, they could be a factor 10 out, but this is a factor 150. So this is across the world. This, this was actually Dutch research. I got to be honest. These were jobs within the Netherlands. That's what I was doing. Okay. So founders. Yeah, but that's that, that's not fixed salary. Mm-hmm. We're talking fixed salary here. Okay. No idea. You have to tell us. It's a secretary, and a private driver. Because you've got a lot of secretaries who are just doing secretarial work. And then you've got the CEO secretary who's basically 24 hours on call making more money than probably any recruiter in Mm -hmm. in the country was. And the same goes for private drivers because you've got a lot of students actually just doing the driving. But several CEOs had basically private drivers who were also their personal coaches and were... Uh, and so much secret stuff was going on in that car that they had to be <laughs> sure that the guy would never, ever talk. Always men, by the way, also 24 hours on call. And they were making also, I think, if I'm not mistaken, 250 grand a year, which was like the top 5% of all salaries within the country. Those are the two jobs with the biggest 
difference in salaries within a single country between different companies. I think CEO drivers need some gender diversity. Sophia, shall we get into it? Let's do it. (laughs) And on that note, I would like to thank you all for listening. If you love our show, give us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, or tell somebody you love our show and they should listen as well. (laughs) 